Resurrection Day mean a lot? It means everything. It's more important than Christmas, more important than anything else. Resurrection didn't happen. The Bible says we wouldn't be here. It's singularly the most important day in the Christian faith. 1 Corinthians 15, 13 says, If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, my preaching is useless, and so is your faith. Resurrection, it's our only hope of eternal life. It was a rough year for a lot of folks. And you know what gets us through it? Knowing that we're going to see those have gone on. Bill, we're going to see him again. Been a lot. The song says it was, it was death to death. Death isn't all there is. Death is just the beginning of what comes next. And that's eternity. And I am excited for that. Last week we talked about Palm Sunday, the triumphal entry of Jesus in Jerusalem. And less than one week before his suffering and subsequent death. During that week things were speeding up for Jesus as his life was winding down. Now last week I read a chronological event of what happened on that week. I'm going to read a chronological event of what happened on the day of the resurrection. It's, there's various portions throughout the Gospels, and if you put them all together, you get one, ty- and one entire story, and I'm going to try and do that this morning real quickly. Luke 23, 55 says, The woman who had come with Jesus from Galilee followed Joseph and saw the tomb and how his body was laid in it. Then they went home and prepared spices and perfumes, but they rested on the Sabbath in obedience to the commandment. Mark 16 When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome brought spices so they might go to anoint Jesus' body. Very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb and they asked each other, who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? Matthew 28, there was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. John 20, early on the first day of the week while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. Matthew 28, the angel said to the woman, do not be afraid, for I know that you're looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, he is risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples he has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him, now I have told you. So the woman hurried away from the tomb and afraid yet filled with joy and ran to tell his disciples. John 20, so she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved and said, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they have put him. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were running but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. Matthew 28, suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him, clasped his feet and worshiped him. Then Jesus said to them, don't be afraid. Go tell my brothers and go to Galilee. There they will see me. John 20, both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen laying there before, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter, who was behind him, arrived and went into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as a burial cloth that had been around Jesus' head. 
The cloth was folded up by itself, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went inside. He saw and believed. They still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. John 20, then the disciples went back to their homes, but Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seating where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not recognize that it was Jesus. Woman, he said, why are you crying? Who are you looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where they have put him, and I will go get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned to him and cried out in Aramaic, Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. She recognized him. Can you imagine running to the tomb and seeing it empty? Jesus was crucified. He spent three days in the tomb. And on Sunday, God raised him from the dead. Hallelujah. That's basically Easter in a nutshell. So now we have Jesus raised from the dead, walking around town, meeting up with his disciples. He finally meets up with Thomas, who wanted to physically touch his wounds. Remember, he was the one that said, I don't believe it until I see him and touch him. I'm not going to buy it. And so he comes to Thomas in John 20, verse 27. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. And Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. Then Jesus says something that wasn't really for Thomas's benefit, but it was for our benefit. The what and the why of the resurrection. John 20, he says to Thomas, Jesus told them, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. We talked about this in our youth group this morning. I don't think anybody here has actually seen Jesus. Anybody physically see Jesus? And yet we believed. That verse sets up these next two verses, which are what I want to look at today. Verses 31 in John 20 says, Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But, if he, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Every Bible, I don't know, at least the Bibles I use, have a little heading at the top of a lot of paragraphs describing what that paragraph is about. My Bible, the NIV, titles these two verses, The Purpose of John's Gospel. The New Living Translation I use also says, he entitles it, The Purpose of the Book. One commentary refers to these two passages as the John's statement of purpose. Those headings are describing what these two verses mean. For something to be labeled the purpose for something, that means the entire reason for the book of John to be written was summed up in these two verses. All these events, the reason we spent a year studying John, remember we studied John a couple years ago? We studied that years a couple, couple years ago, they're summed up in these two verses. The reason that the crucifixion and death and resurrection is written about is right in these two verses. We want to know why it's written. These two verses tell you why the Gospel of John was written. 
Let's look at that verse again, John 20, verse 30. Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. Now, for the first three and a half years of Jesus' ministry was more than just what the Gospels contain. How many of you know that? In fact, it says if they did everything, if they recorded everything, all the books couldn't contain it. Now, if I'm Jesus and I'm thinking this is going to convince people, I would be writing down every single miracle that I did to show people. But as busy as they were, he did as much more than they could record. If healings and miracles were the most important thing that Jesus did, why not record all of them? God could have made that Bible huge. That verse tells me that miracles and healings were not the purpose of the Bible. They were not the end in of themselves. The next verse explains it in a nutshell why we celebrate Easter, why we celebrate God's word, why we study God's word, John 20, verse 31. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and by, that, and by believing you may have life in his name. The things that are written in the Bible, especially John's book, are written for one purpose, so that you believe that Jesus is the Christ, that he is the Messiah. And because you believe, you now can receive eternal life. The miracles, the healings, the crucifixion, his death, resurrection have all been written not to study as ancient history, not to study to know a bunch of knowledge. It's written so that we can study them and because we believe, we can now have eternal life. You ever thought, you know, if there was just one more story in the Bible, that would convince me. Or if someone could just tell me one more thing that God's done, that would, that would convince me. One more detail explaining what God was doing, then that would be the key, then I'd believe. Or if God could just write this book a little bit more plainly, now I would like that. God, if you just spelled out a little bit easier, a little bit better English, then I would get it. John's saying that all the stuff he left out is not important to the purpose of the book. The things that we recorded, if he recorded all of them, still wouldn't be enough to believe. We don't need more evidence. We don't need more signs. We don't need more wonders. We don't need anything else in order to believe. We need to believe what is already written. Now, before I was a Christian, I used to get into discussions with my wife about this. And by discussions, I mean argument. And I would be looking to pick a fight. I would be looking to stump her with my miraculous, awe-inspired questions. Why is there suffering in the world? Why do bad things happen to good people? And you ask all these things that, you know, there's hardly an answer to. And you expect someone to answer that for you. And I would always say, if you could show me why these happens, then I'd believe. But the truth was, I wasn't looking for that. If she could have explained it to me, I still wouldn't have believed. Because that wasn't what I was looking for. I was looking for a discussion. If you don't believe what's already been written, more information in your life is not going to change you. Remember Lazarus, rich man? 
Rich man had a lot of stuff, died and went to hell. Lazarus, poor beggar, dies and goes to heaven. And the rich man says to, to Abraham, let me come back from the dead and then they'll, then they'll see. If I could just come back from the dead, people will see me risen from the dead, then they will already believe. What was the answer to that? Luke 16, 30. No, Father Abraham, but if someone from the dead comes to them, they will repent. And he said, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, which is basically this, they will not be convinced even if someone rises from the dead. So we can have someone rise from the dead today and people still walk away and not believe. If you don't believe that, Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. Remember that story? Jesus raised Lazarus. People were amazed, but not everyone was amazed. John eleven forty five. Therefore, many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary and had seen what Jesus did put their faith in him. So the miracle did work. The raising of Jesus or Lazarus from the dead by Jesus touched people's lives. Verse 46, but some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. Then the chief priests and Pharisees called a meeting of the Sanhedrin. And if you remember last week, that singular event is what caused the leaders to want to kill him. I, I don't get that. If you raise someone from the dead, your instant reaction is to kill that person? That's what the enemy does. He blinds you to what God is doing. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 4, 4, I don't have this verse in here, sorry. The God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers so they can't see the truth. And we pray for folks that God removes that blinder from their eyes. Because there's so many things out there that are plain and understandable that if you simply believe it, God will reveal it to you. I was, it's funny, you know, how God puts things together in, in youth this morning. It was the same kind of lesson. I said, I would sit in church for three years. Every service, three services a week, I'm there. Not a Christian, I would go because my wife went. And there were actually times when she would beg me not to go <laughs> because I was just an agitator on the way home. But I would go, and I would listen, and everyone thought I was a Christian. Everyone thought I was a nice guy, but I wasn't a believer. And no matter what you did to, and try to explain to me, I didn't get it. I didn't understand how church went, all the things they were doing. didn't understand the Bible. The minute I came to the cross, the minute I got saved, it was like a light bulb went off. I got it. I understand. I didn't understand the Bible only, but I understood what God was doing in people's lives. I understood that there was a Savior. I understood what God wants to accomplish and from that point, you just learn. I said to the kids, there's a saying that says, seeing is believing. How many have heard that? Biblically, that's backwards. Believing is seeing. Because you can't see until you believe. And that's all John is saying here. Look, you have to believe in order to see the, the, the reality of Christ. Faith in the events that are recorded, be they healings or miracles, whatever, should be enough to lead us to faith in what is written. The things that God's word already says, the things that you've experienced in your life, that should be sufficient in order to get your attention so that you believe. If you don't believe with what is given you already, you're not going to believe by more information. You have to come to the point where you don't understand it. You don't get it but you want to get it. You come to the cross, you ask Jesus to forgive you of your sins, I guarantee the light bulb will go off and you'll get what we've been talking about. 
when you recognize that God's word is sufficient, we, need, we understand that we do need to be saved and we can't do it by ourselves. Now, those of you who know my testimony know that God did a miracle in our family, but that miracle did not come until I first believed. I, I knew that I needed Christ. I knew I'd seen people's lives transformed. I wanted what they had. I came to Christ because I needed him. I realized I need God. I came to Christ, I got saved. It was after that that God actually did a miracle. So the miracle wasn't what drew me to the cross. People's lives drew me to the cross. How, how people who struggled and suffered and had hard things in their life still had joy and peace. I wanted that. That was sufficient for me. They were able to tell me what God did for them. And after that, God did the miracle. It wasn't the miracle that saved me. Miracles in people's lives and their lives transformed. That's what changed me. Acts 4.12 says, Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. The name of Jesus is a stumbling block for people, right? Everyone believes in, or most people believe in in God. It's when you say that Jesus is the only way, that's when people kind of step back and have a hard time with that. Why do we all need to believe in Jesus? Well, you know, that guy over there, he was a pretty good guy. Why, uh, why does he have to believe in Jesus? When you examine Jesus' life, all that he did and all that he preached, you have to come to a conclusion. Everyone in the world has to make this choice. There's three choices. Based on what Jesus said and what he did and what he preached, there's three choices that we have. You can either believe that Jesus was insane or you can believe that Jesus was tricked, deceived, or deluded or you can believe that he is who he said he was, the Messiah. That's the only three choices we have. And everyone has to choose one of those three options. There are no other options. Many say that he never referred to himself as God. You know, Jesus did never, I never said I was God or he never said he was God. Wrong. He referred to himself as God on numerous occasions. John 8, 58, Jesus says, I tell you the truth, before Abraham was born, I am. Now, that's not poor English. That was Jesus using the same name that God used when he spoke to Moses. And the people he was talking to knew that. Exodus 3, 14, God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. When he was saying that, the Jews knew exactly what he was meaning when he said that. Why do they know that? Because John 8, 59, it says, at this they picked up stones to stone him. The only reason they were stoning him is because he was calling himself God and they knew that and they wanted to stone him. John 17, 5 says, and now Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had before the world began. So Jesus was with God in heaven. John 10, 30, I and the Father are one, Jesus says. Now today, if someone would walk up here and say that I'm God, you'd think he was crazy, right? You'd think he was nuts. No different than what happened 2,000 years ago. People thought he was crazy. But these things are written so you may know that he is who he said he was. 
He wasn't simply a good teacher or a prophet or a good guy. Because if he wasn't God as he claimed to be, then he would be insane. So now we focus on today, the resurrection. These accounts were written so we believe in the resurrection. The Bible says there were over 500 witnesses that saw him in separate witnesses, separate accounts of them seeing a risen Christ. Do we have to come to the same conclusion that they did 2,000 years ago? Do we believe what God has already written? Verse 31, these things are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. Now, how do we believe something that's written unless we see it experienced in people's lives? The Bible says that, or there's a saying that says, we're the only Bible that people are going to read. In other words, they look at your life and you claim to be a Christian. Do they see something different in you that they would be attracted to? Do you, do you act like Christ act? Do we act like the Bible tells us to act? And when we do, people see that and they want what we have. They may not understand the Bible. They may not understand anything about church. But man, you've got something that I want. And when they see your life and they see your testimony, there's something about you that they know has changed your life. And you know what that was? That was Believing in God's word. Maybe you've never experienced a miracle. Maybe you've never experienced a healing or any supernatural thing other than coming to know Christ, which the Bible says is a miracle in itself, which is the greatest miracle because it transforms your heart from who you were into who God wants you to be. When I got saved, it was, it was radical for me. If you knew my family, there's no way I'm coming to God. No way. But God was able to change that. God was able to change me from the inside out, which had to be a miracle. And when people see that, they see that what you believe is true. So now, you know what? Now they believe what the Bible says. If you believe that Jesus was the Christ, you've come to Christ, you've asked for forgiveness of sins, the next question we have to ask ourselves is, has that changed me? Has belief in the resurrection resulted in any change in your life whatsoever? The things that we do, the things that we say, how we act, how we believe, has it changed? If it hasn't changed your life at all, the Bible says we need to examine ourselves to see if we're really in the faith. Because radical transformation will change who you are. Before I was a Christian, I wasn't a good guy. All right, I wasn't. And what happened after I got saved, I knew I had to make restitution for things that I had done. And some of the stuff I uh, <clears throat> borrowed from my employer, permanently borrowed from my employer. And so not long after I came to Christ, I took that stuff back to where I used to work, gave it back to him. And the guy's like, what? What are you doing? I said, I took these. I now have a relationship with Christ. I need to do what's right. I'm giving them back to you. And whatever punishment comes from that, I'm good with that. Scary thing. Could have been arrested, you know. 
but I knew I had to do it. Why? Because God had changed who I was, changed how I acted and what I believed, and what I believed made me do things that I wouldn't have done before. The resurrection should change who you are and should change what you do and how you act and what you believe. Only you know if your faith is genuine. When I was in that church for three years, everybody except for the preacher thought I was a Christian. If you'd have asked them, oh yeah, yeah, he comes all the time, he's a good guy. I knew my faith wasn't genuine. Nobody else knew it but me. John wrote many accounts of how his life and his disciples' lives and most of those who received the miracles had their lives transformed. The miracles were designed to get people's attention and cause people to listen to what the healer was saying and then then believe, which in turn changed their life. Miracles aren't meant to save you. You're not meant to do anything other than draw you to Christ, to get your attention. What, What miraculous thing has God done in you that other people see? For our family, it was a healing. It was a miraculous healing. And you know what? That gives me an opportunity to share that with other people. That didn't save me, but it it allows me to talk about what God has done for me, and it gets people's attention. How many know that God still does miracles and healings today? For the same purpose. So that our hearts and our minds are open to listen to the healer. Miracles, like I said before, aren't in and of themselves what God wants to do. God uses those to bless us and he also uses those to let other people know that what, we're not crazy, that God actually does this stuff in our life. Zacchaeus had a transformation when he heard about the gospel and the forgiveness and mercy of Christ. Luke 19.8, But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is a son of Abraham. God does a transformation internally, and then your life externally should change as well. Things that you do. I used to have a bad mouth, and a lot of you know this. And God took that right away. Gone. I used to drink a lot too. God didn't take that away. I had to work on that. And I remember going, I was with my brother. We were at a, actually, actually at my grandfather's funeral. And we were sitting down and he, he turns to me because he knew that I had been going to church and all that stuff. He turned to me and said, swear. And I said, what? He said, cuss, swear, say something bad. And I said, I can't. I'm not going to say it. And he jumped up, I said, I knew it, I knew it, I knew something happened to you, what is going on in your life? Why? Because he saw a difference. Not, nothing for me. That's all God doing that in you. And you should see when in your life the slow progression, and we all grow at a different rate. We all change at a different rate. But you should see some change and some growth. God gets our attention through people we know, through testimonies we may have heard or miracles that we may have witnessed or, more than likely, through hardships that come in our life. 
Nothing gets your attention like a hard time. Nothing kind of stops what you're doing when something bad goes on in your life. You may be cruising along and everything's hunky-dory and all of a sudden something bad happens. God's got your attention. And the thing about that is we don't know when that's going to happen. We don't know how it's going to affect us. We've been talking on Wednesday night is that we need to be ready. We have no idea when our lives are going to be over. Bill, we have no clue about Bill. And it happened that fast. If you watch the news, a couple was on their way to vacation. And somebody shot through the door and killed the wife. Road rage. Like that. They were on their way to vacation. You never know. I bet you someone's attention was gotten through that. Because God can get your attention, you now come to believe what the Bible says. Or in most cases, you want to believe what the Bible says. For those of you who are struggling and going through things and you're not sure if God is real, you want to know, you want to believe that the Bible says it's true. And so what that does is that makes you take the leap of faith. Okay, Lord, I'm trusting you that it's true. And then once you make that step of faith, you trust Christ, then you begin to see that it is true and it works. Once you believe that, then your lives are transformed. It doesn't mean your life all, all of a sudden becomes perfect. Anybody, anybody perfect life? Sometimes, as, the, as our teens even said, sometimes your life gets a little bit more difficult. But the difference is you have someone to help you through it. The Bible says when you walk through the fire, you don't go around the fire, you walk through it. When you walk through the water, you're not going to get burned, you're not going to drown, God will bring you out the other side. It doesn't say you go around it. You go through it. Where would you be without Christ right now? Be tough. It means our reactions to the difficulty will be different. When you become a Christian, you are now spiritual babies. And as such, we need others who are older than us in the Lord to help us, to teach us, and to train us. The difference is, as baby Christians, now we want that. I used to go to church because my wife made me go to church, which is okay, good. Then I went to church because I wanted to go. Man, every time there was a conference, every time there's a speaker, I'm just sucking up like a sponge because I want to know. That's the difference. Went to church both times, difference is I want to know. When you become a believer, now you want to know more and more. Then we see the final events that happen in the progress of John's account. John 20, 31, but these things are written, you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, Son of God, and by that, believing you may have life in his name. We now believe, so now we experience life. Now you may think, I've already got life. I'm breathing, I'm, I'm good. I'm experiencing life. The truth is, when God transforms you, that's the life we're talking about. 
the disciples were changed from fear to courage. Thomas was changed from doubt to faith. Nicodemus was changed from cynical Jewish leader to faithful follower. Zacchaeus was changed from a hated tax collector and thief to a repentant believer. The bottom line is God can and does change your life. He may not change your circumstances, but he changes your reaction to the circumstances. When Jesus was raised from the dead, he in fact had a new life. One that was radically different from the previous one. He was a physical human being, now he's a resurrected savior. When we come to believe the same things happen to us. 2 Corinthians 5.17, what this means is that those who become Christians become new persons. They are not the same anymore. For the old life is gone and a new life has begun. The reason we celebrate Easter, resurrection, is because we know that because of the resurrection, everything else is true. If Jesus had never been raised from the dead, if that didn't happen, then everything would be worthless. We'd be gathering here for no purpose at all. Because what we live for now is not now. How many understand that? We live for what is coming. I was, we were at the sunrise service this morning, and the guest speaker was a chaplain. He's a little bit older than, than I am, and he was telling the cr- crowd that he has 18 grandchildren. I know, right? I don't know how many kids he has, but he has 18 grandchildren. As a grandparent, those of you who are grandparents, and those of you who are parents, you know you want the best for your kids. You want them to have a better life than you. You don't want them to experience the troubles you may have experienced. But most of all, you want them to be in eternity with you. Is that right? You want them to be with Christ. Because our lives are finite. And we know that when our life is over, there's something beyond that. And we do all of our best efforts to lead people to Jesus. The Bible says, you know, one waters, one plants. God gives the increase. I can't save anyone. I can lead you there. I can tell you what the Bible says. I can show you what God's done for me. But I can't change you. I can't make you believe. But God's word is written so that you can trust what it says. Talk to anyone who has come to Christ, especially those who did that later in life, and they will tell you how it's changed them. You're not perfect. We still mess up all the time. Ask my wife all the time. This morning, I did it again this morning. So you're not perfect. The difference is you want to be. Do you have the life of Christ giving you the joy and hope that others so desperately need? Because there's a lot of people out there who are looking for something. And I went to visit some folks in Florida, and you drive around, especially where we visit, we're at in Florida, there's a lot of stuff that's out there vying for people's attention because people want something. I mean, there's, there's tarot cards, there's astrology, there's you know, all different types and brands of faith and all that stuff going on down there. And you can't drive anywhere 
without seeing that stuff. And the, the part of the floor that we were in, these people have materially everything. The houses are gorgeous, million-dollar homes on the water. But they don't, they're looking for something. And I know what they're looking for. They're looking for Christ. They just try to find it in all these other things. And a lot of them find it in their possessions, in the things that they have, the things they're able to do. And I, and I was sitting, and we were in one of the houses, and, you know, million-dollar house, and we're just, you know, enjoying the people that are there, but I'm looking around thinking to myself, you know what? There's going to come a time that all this stuff that they have isn't going to matter. When they're either on their deathbed or wherever that might be, all this stuff isn't going to change anything. Don't get me wrong, it's okay to have nice stuff. But you just can't let that nice stuff have you. All that stuff that they have, and I'm thinking about the tribulation, it's all going to burn at some point. Our life here, the Bible says, is but a mist, it's a vapor, it goes by that fast. And as you get older, you, time flies, right? My kids, my youngest kid is 24. I have a picture in, in, on my nightstand that I swear was taken two days ago. I was laying on the couch with her as a baby. Flies. My oldest is 38. Looking at pictures of them, it just goes by fast. And if you're a young parent, it's going to go by fast. But you want to take this time to really pour into your kids so that when their time comes to choose, that they know what to choose. Show them what God's done in your life. Give them testimonies of how God's ministered to you and blessed you. They may not want to hear it. That's okay. The Bible says his word doesn't return void. It's always in the back of their mind. I, I think I made a mistake of not telling my kids all the things I did before I was a Christian. I didn't want to kind of let them think, oh, well, you did it and you're okay. Maybe I should have, I don't know. But I want them to, and each one of us to see that there is a radical transformation that can take place in your life. Not only for here, because it's a blessing to be a Christian now, but more importantly, when the time comes and our time is gone, have we done all that we can do to not only transform us, but to transform those around us? How many remember the old song, Thank You? That was years ago. <clears throat> and it basically says someone gets to heaven and they're thanking all the people that made it possible for them to go to heaven. He meets this one guy from, whose missionary was, who got, got saved through a missionary because his kid supported this missionary. One person, you know, he saw his Sunday school teacher, led him to the Lord when he was five. All these people had an effect in their life. And this guy's thanking everybody for allowing him to be there. When we're gone, what will people say about us? Will they be thankful for what we've poured into their life? Will they be thankful for us telling them the truth? You know, I share with some folks, you know, you go to the doctor for truth, right? If you have something going on, you don't want the doctor to say, oh, you're fine, you're good. When in fact you are sick. The Bible's the same way. 
When we read the things about the Bible, the Bible shows us what we need to fix and what things in our life aren't right. And when you come to church, when you read your Bible, you want the truth. You want God to tell you how it really is. You may not like it, you don't want to hear it, but you want to know the truth. Because you want to, if you know the truth, then you can fix the problem. And the truth is, we're all sinners. None of us are going to make it to heaven on our own. The resurrection now gives us the ability and the trust that because of the resurrection, I can know that I'm going to be in heaven. The last things I wrote here in my notes, do you want hope, peace, assurance, joy? The belief in the resurrection is the one event that allows all of those things to happen. Do you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the one person who can make you right with God and transform your life? All those are questions that, especially on Easter, on Resurrection Day, the Bible says we need to check ourselves. Where are you with God? How many go for periodic physicals? The older you get, the more you go, right? When you're 20, you don't need a physical. We try to talk our kids into getting, you know, you need to get a physical, you need to get a physical. Why? So you can catch things early. We want you to catch things early. I got saved when I was 30. I wish, I wish I can go back and do it when I was 10. Because I wasted 20 years. Wasted them. I could have been doing so much more and had my life transformed so much more. The one person that can make that choice is you. Do you believe in the resurrection? Would you stand as we close this morning? Look at that noon right up, man. You got your money's worth today. I'm not ending early. Would you bow your heads for a moment? You know, especially around Easter time and Christmas, people start thinking about things like this. Some people use funerals as an example or things in our life to get our attention. If you're here, it's because God brought you here. If you're thinking about the things of God, it's because God is making you think about the things of God. No one's here by accident. No one's here as, as with me. My wife dragged me to church, but even though she dragged me, God still was pouring into me. So it doesn't matter the reason you're here. The fact is you are here and God is pouring into you. And if you're here and you've never really, you, know, you have no idea what I'm talking about other than the fact that you know you want to be right with God. You want to know that you and God are on speaking terms. You don't know how that happens. You know, you're kind of mysterious about that. But as we, our verse said, these things are written that you may know you have eternal life. If you're not sure where you're going to end up when your life is over, you're not sure where you stand with God, the Bible says these things are written that you may know these things. You may be confident in the fact that you are right with God. If that's you and you want to 
you have no idea what I'm talking about other than the fact that you know you're a sinner, you know that in yourself you're not right with God, and you know that you can't make it to heaven on your own. And you know the Bible says that the gift of God is Jesus Christ, who forgives you of all those sins, takes your place, suffered all that stuff that we should have suffered, and he did it for you. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world, it's changed that, God so loved you. For God so loved you that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes on him shall not perish but have eternal life. And the Bible says all you have to do is believe it. Believe in your heart, confess with your mouth that Jesus is your Lord and you are saved. There's no magic to it, not, no work. It's just faith. If you're here and you want your life to be transformed, if you want the forgiveness and the power of God in your life, I want to pray with you right now. Would you raise up your hand? Okay, I'm going to believe that all of us are committed followers of Christ on this resurrection day. And whether you raised your hand or not, the Bible says that God's spirit still continues to draw you. He'll just nag you until you do. But for each one of us, we want that resurrection power. The Bible says that the resurrection power lives in us. In other words, the ability to do what God wants you to do is already inside of you. And we want to feed that. We want to do everything we can do to honor God. And the Bible says when you honor God, God blesses your life. So let's pray for that. Father, thank you. Lord, we celebrate you. We celebrate and we honor the sacrifice of your son for us. Lord, we can't, there's no words to say how we appreciate what you've done for us. And Father, we're so thankful that there is a resurrection. That God, you walked out of the tomb and you're alive today. And if that's true, then we know that one day we will also walk out of that tomb and we will be in paradise, eternity with you in heaven. But Father, it, it saddens us and it burdens our hearts because not everybody we know is gonna have that same experience. That they need Christ just as much as we needed Christ years ago. And Lord, I pray this resurrection day that God, your Holy Spirit comes upon each one of the folks we're praying for right now. You would continue to draw them. The Bible says that no one comes to God unless the Father draws them. So Lord, I pray that you would continue to draw them, continue to put thoughts in their minds, people in their past, circumstances in their way, that God, you get their attention. That they would come to know you as their Savior. They may not want to do it now, and as we look at them in the natural, they're never going to know God. But your word says that you're long-suffering, not wanting anybody to perish, but everybody to come to repentance. And the Bible says there's nothing that's too hard for you, that you do the impossible. So Lord, even though in our own minds there's, there's no way that person's going to come to Christ, we believe that God, you will do it. We pray according to your will, 
Your word says, and it will be done. You will them to know you. You will them to let them allow you into their life. So, Father, we pray in agreement with your will that you would save them, you would draw them to the cross, help them to understand your love for them, and allow them to experience the transformation that each one of us have experienced. And, Father, none of us would go back. We have the choice to go back if we don't want. But none of us would go back. None of us realize, all of us realize how much it means to have you in our life. And we want others to experience the same thing. So Father, I pray you bless each family today. Allow them to have a tremendous day at home if that's what they're going to do with their family and friends and all loved ones. Have a blessed Easter and allow the power of God to come upon each family. Let each one experience a blessing today. So Lord, I commit this church to you, each person, in the name of Jesus. And all God's people said, amen. 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 God bless you. Have a tremendous week. If God's working in your life, you've got to answer prayer. Let me know. It's a testimony. Other people need to hear what God's doing in you to build up their faith.